Hi, listeners. Welcome to the Grief Out Loud podcast produced by the Dougie Center for Grieving Children. I'm Janet Christofero and wanted to give you just a little heads up as you listen to this episode, you'll be hearing references to our old name, which was Dear Dougie. So just so you don't get too confused, you're listening to the right podcast, and we look forward to bringing you even more great content under the Grief Out Loud name. Thanks for joining us. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dear Dougie podcast produced by the Dougie Center for Grieving Children. I'm Jana DeCristofero. After over 30 years of listening to the stories of grieving children, teens, young adults, and adults in our grief support groups, we wanted to share what we've learned from them with the larger community. Our podcast is a way to open up the often avoided conversation about grief. While we will all experience loss during our lives, when it occurs, most of us are left not knowing what to do, how to feel, or how to talk about it. So whether you're grieving a loss or wanting to support someone who is, we're here to explore and talk about what matters to you the most in grief. So today I'm joined by Joan Schweizerhoff, Coordinator of Training and Special Projects at the Dougie Center. Welcome, Joan. Thank you. And Joan, I think you're back for your third episode? I think this is my third. Oh, you're an old pro at this point. (laughs) I'm really looking forward to today's episode because we're talking about a topic that's intimidated me for years preschoolers. Joan and I have joked about how she promised she would never ask me to lead one of her groups for kids who are three to five, as long as I never asked her to take one of my teen groups. It's 14 years later, and I've still yet to do a group for the youngest of our participants. But Joan now has led a teen group brilliantly for the last, how long, Joan? About three years. And you're still going with it? Still going. Well, I appreciate you being brave and doing that. I'm not quite ready yet for the three to five-year-olds, so I'm hoping after this conversation I'll feel a little bit more skilled and uh, available for that. In this podcast today, we're going to talk about talking. How do you explain death to a preschooler? What are the questions they might have? We'll also cover what helps and doesn't help when it comes to supporting a grieving preschooler. So Joan, let's start at just the beginning. Say you called in sick next week and I had to go cover your group for three to five-year-olds. What are some of the, the basics that you know from working with that age range? I think that the piece that is the most uh, wonderful for me is that they are so honest and so direct, and they say what's on their mind. They don't have the same filters that kids that are older have, so you really don't have to wonder what's going on with them. They'll tell you. I think for a lot of people, however, because they don't have those filters, they share grief, they share their stories with everyone walking into the community and you're in the grocery store and they say, my mommy died, or at the gas station, did you know my daddy died? Which is really difficult for the adults around them to deal with, but it's the way they're processing their grief, which is important. So easier then when you're sitting maybe in a group of grieving adults and you're having to watch carefully for tone of voice and what's going on with their facial expression or their body language. These three to five-year-olds will just walk right up to you and tell you what's happening. Exactly. It reminds me of a story one time of kids having a conversation, and we'll get into this, I think, in a little bit of how concrete they are and how they process death and how they process grief. And they were talking about one kid shared that he had gone to heaven to see his daddy over the weekend. And the other kids were like, well, no, you can't. You can't go to heaven, I don't think. Not if you're alive. You can't go to heaven. And he said, no, yeah, I went to heaven. My grandma took me. I went and saw my dad in heaven. And the kids were like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Like, where is heaven? And he said, oh, it's right down the street by Ikea. (laughs) So we figured he probably went to the cemetery or wherever maybe his dad's ashes were. And he had gone to heaven to see his dad. 
And that's always made me wonder about how important it is to talk to kids of this age in a particular way about how somebody has died. Do you have some suggestions around that? I think that's the one biggest question that we always get from families who call in if they've had a preschooler is, do I need to tell them? What do I need to tell them? When do I, can I wait? Um, and what we say is that it's, it's important for the child to know because they obviously are aware that something different is going on around them. The, the parent or the caregiver is, has a whole different reaction or response. They may be crying a lot or they may be irritable or they um, want to spend more time alone and not around the child. And so the child picks that up and they say, what's, what's happening here? And one, did I do something wrong? Mm. Which is usually when, when the adult is upset with them, it's because they did something wrong. Right. So they, they, in their mind, make up the story that they must have done something wrong. And what we want to do is be able to uh, reassure them that they did nothing wrong, that this person has died. Um, and then what death means, because... Uh, they don't have the cognitive ability to really understand that death is permanent. So you tell them that the person died, they don't understand what death means. Even if you explain it to them, you know, when, when someone dies, their body stops working, um, they're not breathing anymore, they don't eat anymore, um, those kinds of, of really concrete pieces, they listen to that and then they say, and is daddy going to be home to read me a story tonight? It takes them time to understand that that person is not coming back. Uh, but they don't really understand death until they get a bit older. So one of the pieces that happens for kids is that they ask story over and over and over again. Tell me again what happened to Daddy. Remember Daddy died? Oh, yeah, I remember. Um, and, and that's one of the challenges for adults is once they do tell them the story of what happened, they um, have to repeat that story over and over and over again, which oftentimes is very challenging for the adult to have to process it's hard enough with. to have to say it the first time and then to think, I'm going to have to tell the story again and again. I remember one family who it was so hard for the mom to have to go through the story almost every day with her child. So she and her son sat down and did like a little hand-drawn comic book, storybook of what happened to daddy. And then when the child asked the question every morning at breakfast, she could bring out the book and they would look at it or he would just look at it on his own because he basically had it memorized. But that kept her out of having to say the words again and again. And I think that that's really an important piece. And, and, and we talk about, when we talk with these little guys, is that we tell them the truth, but you don't have to go into great detail, and not necessarily as much detail as you would go into a, for an older child. Oftentimes, if you just let them lead the conversation, let them ask the questions, and then answer the question. Don't ask or answer what you think might be going on, because we all oftentimes will, will give them much more information, and they just really want to know one thing. So you say, you know, what happened, what happened to Daddy? And then you go into a long story, and he said, no, but I mean, where is he now? That's all they wanted to know. They didn't care about the death or what that means. They just want to know, where is he now? Because of their concrete thinking, their ability to only handle concrete facts. So often we talk about how to talk to kids, and in the end, people just want to hear the words. What do I actually say? So you might say, um, I, well, first of all, I would say the person who should give the child the information is the person who is closest to the child, so the mom or the dad or the, um, another person who the child really trusts and cares about, not a stranger, not the counselor, not you know the minister. The preschool teacher. The preschool teacher, but, but the person who really is important to that child because that's who they can process and trust the most. So what we would do is we'd say, um, 
Johnny, I have something to share with you, and it's very sad. Your mommy died today. And what died means is her body stopped working. The doctors weren't able to fix her, so she isn't going to be around anymore. You're not going to be able to see her anymore. Her body just stopped working, and she's dead. And do you recommend that parents or caregivers share with kids how the person died? I know you said, let's just give them a short amount of information and let their questions guide the way. I think it's important to begin to use the words for kids. So you might say, she had an illness, it was called cancer, or they died because um, their heart stopped working, it's called a heart attack, um, or the person died by shooting themselves. And so just be able to honestly give them a short a piece of information. If they want to know more about that, then they will ask. And I think that can be such a, a scary and intimidating prospect to use those words with the youngest of kids. But as you said at the beginning, because they don't always have those filters and they haven't yet learned to incorporate society's general avoidance and stigma around talking about grief and loss, they can sometimes process that story in a way that seems almost less complicated than older kids do. Exactly, and, and that's why they need less information. And they, as they need more information, they will ask. So I have kids who came in and, and the first thing they do is, um, when they first start, they say, my mommy died. And then later they say, my mommy died, her heart stopped working. Um, and then they were able to say, my mommy died, she had a heart attack. So over the period of time, they start saying, well, what does that mean? Her heart stopped working. You know, what do they call that? And mm -hmm. so by, by allowing them to have the information and, and asking for the information as they can handle more, it's helpful for them. And a good reminder for adults that as kids grow older, and I know we'll talk more about this in a bit, of as their cognitive capacities increase and they're able to understand the story in a new way, they may start asking questions. And it doesn't mean that an adult did a bad job of explaining. It's just they explain to the level that that child could understand because um, I know a lot of adults will feel like, oh, maybe I didn't get it right, because now my kid has a lot of questions. That's pretty typical um, of children who, who um, have a death before the age of five or six, that they process it in the way that we've been talking about. But when they turn five to six, they uh, have a cognitive shift, and so they are able to understand death as being permanent. They understand it in a different way. So a lot of parents will say, well, you know, he went through all that grief. He came to the Dougie Center when he was three, and all of a sudden he's starting to have a lot more questions about his dad, and he's wondering a lot more about what's happening. And that's pretty common for kids to because they are now understanding it in a different way. They want to learn how to um, process it in that way. So don't be surprised, adults out there, if your kids turn six and seven and come back to you with a whole new range of questions and wonderings and concerns about the death. Joan, you know, I wanted to go back just briefly because we're talking about how to tell kids that somebody has died. And I just want to go back to the D word <laughs> and how often there's so many different ways that people will talk about death. What's your sense of that in terms of, I know for we always recommend to people to don't use a euphemism, but why is that so important for especially these kids of this age? If you say, we lost him, if they lose their shoes or their teddy bear, you go and find them. And so if you say their mom or dad is lost, they say, well, let's just go find them. Um, and so that concrete uh, thinking ability confuses them, or they, you know, they went to sleep, or they just have passed on. Those words don't make any sense to the child, and they're trying to make sense of what's happening. So if you can use the actual words and not euphemisms, it will be less confusing for the child, for sure. The other sort of benefit, if there's a benefit in using that word, is it's not a word that's used commonly for anything else than to talk about the fact that somebody has died. So if we're saying things like, 
went to sleep, passed on, got sick, expired. Those are words that kids are going to hear other times, and then it could spark nervousness and anxiety of loss. Wait a minute, last time we lost something, I never saw them again, and that was really sad. Same thing with uh, naming the actual illness that the person died from, how helpful it is to say the words leukemia or cancer so that kids, particularly these younger kids, don't get freaked out when mom gets a cold and is sick. Exactly. So now the kids know. We've talked through what's happened. What can we expect to see in terms of their behaviors, their emotions? A lot of what we see are changes in their behavior because even though they do have the words um, and they can talk, they really don't have the cognitive ability to put together their feelings and the words. So most of what we see are behavior changes. So maybe they have trouble going to sleep or they wake up in the middle of the night crying or they wake up very early in the morning. You might see eating changes. Um, so they maybe eat more or they eat less. Uh, they might become really picky. Their stomach hurts a lot, <laughs> a lot of stomach aches, headaches. Heartaches. Just bodies, yeah, yeah somatic kind mm -hmm. of things going exactly. on. Um, we see them being um, more irritable, more clingy, crying, and uh, seeing tantrums, um, seeing um, aggressive behavior possibly, biting or kicking kids that they haven't done before. And one of the things that, that I see really frequently with kids is that they have this kind of regressive behavior. So possibly they were... Um, dressing themselves and, you know, pretty self-sufficient, all of a sudden they need help getting dressed. Or they were potty trained before and now they start, you know, wetting their pants again. Um, and those kinds of behaviors really indicate they're going back to that period of time where they felt a little more safe and comfortable mm -hmm. and secure. And, and they will get back to the, the stage that they were in before, but it's going to take them a little bit of time, a little bit of nurturance, a little bit of patience on the adult's part to understand that this is part of their grief. So what would a parent or a caregiver do then to respond to these types of behavior changes, the regression or kids having a hard time sleeping? With sleeping, oftentimes parents will have the child sleep with them for a little while so that they can feel safe or they go into the child's bed and stay with them until they get to sleep so that they feel a little bit more comfortable. With regressive behaviors, we just say, I know that you can tie your shoes, but today it looks like you're wanting me to help you, and so I'm going to do that today. So just really being accepting of, of where they are in that moment. With aggressive behaviors, be very clear and set really clear limits. You can't hurt people. You can't hit people. That's not okay. But if you feel like you need to hit or hurt because in grief there is that big energy like that, here's a Nerf ball that you can throw against the wall. So giving them the alternative that allows them to do that activity or that behavior in a safe and, and comfortable way for you and for them. As you're talking, I'm thinking all these things still apply to adults, you know, of having trouble sleeping, maybe not eating very well, getting irritable and cranky, lashing out at the grocery store person. So for adults, when they're seeing things in these kids that are this age, to sort of connect it with their own experience and maybe figuring out, oh, I can even model maybe for my child to say, wow, I'm realizing, you know, I asked you to put your toys away and you are yelling and screaming and um, I know for me there's sometimes it's really hard for me to do the things I'm supposed to do without mom I really miss her it makes me extra cranky one of the things I do to take care of myself is go walk up and down the stairs three times till I feel better what would help you right now and working with the child to come up with a plan for when this kinds of thing happens this is what we're going to do to keep everybody safe and to keep them soothed and comforted and nurtured and getting their needs met. And it, it makes me think too that 
can't say enough about how important the consistency, the routine, the predictability, especially for these youngest kids where, you know, their world is their home, maybe their preschool, and it's all about the routine of their day. And when grief occurs and somebody dies, oftentimes that just gets thrown into a tizzy. When, when they have those routines and that consistency, they don't have to worry about what's going to happen next, which is what happens when they're, in, when they're grieving. Is it's like, I don't know what's going to happen next because this isn't familiar to me. The other thing that we talk about with these little guys is to give them, the, give them choices because it, again, allows them to feel like they have some control over their world, but making sure that the choices are choices that are appropriate for their age. So you might say, do you want hot cereal or cold cereal for breakfast? Do you want to wear the red shirt or the blue shirt? You don't say, what do you want to do today? Right. You know, how do you want to spend? Do you want to stay up later or do you want to go to bed earlier? Right. You know, it's Disney like, no, World it's a, and I never want to go to bed again. It's like, no, you can't play that video game any longer. No, you know, those kinds of things. So having the, the, um, the routines and the rituals are really important for them. One of the things that a lot of parents say is that um, they'll use the mommy died card when mm -hmm. um, they're having a little uh, hard time and they're crying and they're you know upset and they're saying, you know, I'm just really upset because my mommy died. Kind of like, will you give me more ice cream? Mm -hmm. um, and so um, that's not an uncommon reaction for kids as well. And you can say, you know, I'm really sad that your mommy died too and you still have to go to bed. Um, so again, that those routines are really important to help them to feel safe um, during that time where everything seems so out of control. Yeah, because one of the kids' biggest concerns is who's going to take care of me now. Are there other things that you've heard from kids that age that are kind of their biggest fears and worries? I think that the other thing that, that we see a lot with these kids is that they worry that the other parent or the caregiver is going to mm -hmm. go away or is going to die or is going to not come back, just like their, their parent did, being able to reassure them not that you're not going to die because obviously we can't know when that's going to happen, but to say, I plan to be back and I'm doing everything I can. Um, and oftentimes giving them what we call a transitional object, something that belongs to you, that's important to you, and say, will you hold on to this for me until I come back and get you? Um, so that the child knows that you're going to come back because they're holding on to this thing that is important to you. If you're going to be late, figuring out a way to let them know so that they don't worry that something has happened to you. And again, same for adults, right? So many adults are, you were five minutes late and I called all the hospitals because I was freaking out that something happened to you. I think one of the other things that happens with this age group that maybe is a little different from the other ages is that because they don't have a lot of experience or a lot of memories of the person who's died, it might be hard for them to keep that memory alive for mm -hmm. that person. And so what we talk with the parents about is uh, to be able to share stories and to let their memory be your memory so that when um, a child is talking about their dad, it may not be because they remember their dad in that way, but what they do is they remember the stories. Um, they remember the character of the dad because the mom has told the stories. So uh, making sure that you, know, you look at pictures and you tell stories and you um, talk about the things that the person liked to do and the things that they were like, the personality that they, were, that they had, so that the child begins to know their dad or their mom or their uh, brother or sister. That seems like another great opportunity to, to make something physical, like a book or a memory book for kids to keep. And, it, and with pictures, too. I know some of the younger kids in my groups really love to have a picture, particularly pictures of their parent or maybe it was their sibling who died with them when they were a baby, when they're being held by that 
caregiver seems like that's the one that they hold closest to their hearts. And I know I always recommend to adults to make a copy, keep the original someplace, but make a copy so that they can carry it around and it can get torn and it can get crayons on it and it's okay, we make another one. Exactly, um, or having just a little book that they can have um, by their bedside that has pictures, that are their pictures that they can look at. You know, sometimes that's a helpful thing at night for them to say, let me look through my daddy book or let mm -hmm. me look through my mommy book. Um, having pictures on the wall sometimes to be able to help them remember that person. So any last little suggestions or tips that you want to make sure that our audience knows about? I think that with these little guys, having patience and having um, the sense that their grief is going to last for a bit and to be able to give them the nurturance, the, the love, the support that they need because they can't let necessarily tell you in words what they're feeling, what they're experiencing. Um, the other piece is that their play is really what, how they process their grief. So allowing them to have art materials and balls for big energy and clay and sand um, where they can draw what they're feeling, express their grief through their play because they don't have the words, again, mm -hmm. to be able to do that. Patience, how huh? that's what I have to cultivate in order to be ready to do a group for the littlest three to five-year-olds. So. Well, thank you so much, Joan, for being here today and talking about you know what oftentimes seems to be the most challenging aspect for a lot of parents is when they have really young kids. How am I going to tell them? How am I going to support them? How do I even know they're grieving? So really helpful information. We'll also link to our, um, we have a tip sheet on how to support grieving preschoolers. So we'll link to that in the show notes today so you can have a written copy of a lot of what we talked about. I just want to share one last story that um, has always stuck with me in all the years that I've worked with these little guys. One of the moms said the child was ready to leave the Dougie Center after having been here for a while. And I asked her, how do you know he's ready to leave? And she said, the sparkle has come back into his eyes. Mm. Well, thank you, Joan. And thanks, everyone, for tuning in and listening today. If you're new to our podcast and you'd like to learn either more about the Dougie Center or listen to some of our past episodes, you can find us at www.dougy.org. That's where all of our episodes and more information about our programming is. And if you happen to listen to your podcast through iTunes, we'd love if you could give us a rating and a review. It helps other family members and adults more easily find our episodes. So we'll be back next time. I hope you'll join us then. Thanks for listening.